journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavuot Tov, Shavuot Tov to everybody out there. I'm Adel Kozilski. This is 101.9 High FM and you're joining me now for the next 45 minutes to do what we know best and that's to bring light into the world. In fact, our discussion today is about the darkness. Um, I invite you to join my conversation on 34519-061-895-1019 is our SMS line, our telegram line, 34519 is our SMS line. I'm talking way too fast today because I've got so much to say. Um, as always, and I've always explained on the show that Torah learning is one of the highest ideals we can have because not only does it give us a compass on how to navigate the world, it gives us a tremendous insight into what God wants from us and what our purpose in this world is. Um, and what we're going to be doing is dedicating our time together, the learning of Torah right now, to the safety and protection of all our soldiers who are on the front lines fighting the darkness of this world, as well as to all our captives who are in a very dark place, to all the Jewish people in the land of Israel that are surrounded by enemies. One of the ways that we Jewish people fight the darkness is not just going out and fighting darkness, but actually bringing light. And this is perhaps the army that is outside the the center of the storm. That's you and I and all of us that are sitting in the galut. Um, It's for us to do another act of kindness, another random act of a thank you, a please, doing a chesed for somebody, giving somebody something, doing another mitzvah, learning Torah, putting on to fill in for men, particularly ladies lighting Shabbos candles, and a whole lot more. If you don't know what to do, there are many, thank God, Orthodox rabbis around. Um, don't be shy. Give them a call. Or look on many, many websites, Chabad.org, um, amongst many, many that will help and guide you in the right place. We are tra- traversing the ten plagues of Egypt, and as we know, with each plague, um, we're going to learn the practicalities of what the plague was all about. We're going to learn why it was a midda connected midda, why it was absolutely correct and right for the Egyptians to receive um, this particular punishment. And then we're going to go look at the psycho-spiritual aspect of it. What does that teach us? Because we too um, must see ourselves as if we come out of Egypt each and every single day. And... Um, what is it that we can learn from the plague of darkness? So for those of you that are relaxing right now or you're able to open up a chumash, we're in chapter 10, that's Perik Yud, Pasuk Chaf Aleph, which is verse 21. So chapter 10, verse 21. Just a reminder to everybody that um, the way the plagues worked is that they came in tranches of three. Okay, so we had three, six, Nine. We will see how the tenth plague is different from all the other plagues. Please God, next week. But what happened is is that in every tranche of three, the first two plagues were warned, and the third plague came without warning. So we're finishing three of three now. We're in six. We're in seven, eight, nine. We're on the ninth plague now. That's the plague of darkness. So yeah, um, Pharaoh and his courtiers and all the stubborn, hard-headed. 
um, people in the in the um, in his court would not warn. God just gives an instruction to Moshe, and that the plague just comes unannounced. By Yomer Hashem El Moshe, God says to Moshe, Stretch out your hand on the sky, there will be a darkness on the land of Egypt. And here's a very interesting thing, the, the, the darkness will be palpable. So as we go along, I want everybody to understand that the darkness that um, the Egyptians were experiencing is not the darkness that unfortunately um, we sit and suffer from in South Africa with, uh, with the load shedding. This was a darkness um, that was absolutely palpable, and I'm going to explain to you as we go along what type of darkness this, in fact, was. So what you will see is that there's actually um, two parts to this darkness. Okay, um, let me let, actually let's just finish the second verse and then we'll go uh, the, the uh, verse 22 and then we'll come back to this entire thing. Moshe et He stretched Moshe stretches out his hand on the sky. There was a total darkness. There was a darkness for three days. Now, here is where I want to draw a distinction. The, the, the normal um, round of plagues always lasted a week. The exception is the plague of darkness. It only lasts for six days because one day of the plague is saved for later. And that will be at the, the splitting of the sea, at the, at the battle of when, when the Jews are finally um, finally see the downfall of Egypt. So we are left with six days and our rabbis go and tell us that um, there were two types of darkness. Okay? Um, so basically what happened is that the first type of darkness was when it was just dark. Really dark. The sun didn't come up and it was absolutely black. There was no light from anywhere. And this first three days, the Egyptians could still move around, but it was really, really hard because it didn't matter how many lamps or torches that they, they lit, it didn't provide any light. And soon um, what happened was when they lit, tried to light a lamp or a torch, um, the light went out because it felt like the air couldn't support combustion. Okay? Just like, you know, sometimes you go into a very deep um, mine or on a high mountain, there was no, there was no oxygen. So the darkness that enveloped came like a, came like a black cloud. And it, it was, it wasn't just merely that there was no sun or moon. It was, it was actually palpable. Uh, one of the very early commentators on the Torah, the uh, Rabbi Abraham Ibn Ezra, Okay, he lived around uh, the, the end of the 10th century, beginning of the 11th century. He said the way that we can actually discuss, uh, understand this is that sometimes when one is at sea, you can encounter a very thick fog that you cannot distinguish um, between day and night. And this was the type of darkness that the Jewish people were experiencing. 
Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right, we are discussing uh, the plague of darkness. Let's understand a little bit more of what this uh, this 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 plague was really all about. Well, um, some rabbis come and tell us that this plague, in fact, this darkness that descended upon the land of Egypt was the same darkness as that which existed at the very beginning of creation. If you go look at Genesis verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, very second verse, it says there, There was a darkness that was on the face of the deep. It's an elemental darkness. Okay, It precluded even the existence of light. That was the darkness that came over the Egyptians. Other rabbis go and say that it was the darkness of purgatory. Okay, that why, why, why were they punished? Because the darkness is a punishment for people who sin in darkness. They, they try to conceal their acts from others. And so what happens then is that they are punished by being placed in darkness where they cannot see one another. Now, I was explaining just before the break that there were two sections to this darkness. The first three days, the entire land became totally dark. and There was not even enough light for to see a person standing close by. There were no stars available. But during the second um, three days, it became even darker. The very air became opaque. If it says that if a person was sitting, okay, um, he couldn't stand up. If he was standing... He could not sit down because it had, it, had, it had become virtually impossible to move, as if the air had become like a solid wall. And that's how it lasted for three days. I have to tell you that I gained a new appreciation of darkness. Just a little while ago, I, I was privileged enough to, to visit the country of Iceland. And um, on one of our expeditions, we hiked into a lava tunnel. Basically, we walked into the belly of the earth. And um, we were given helmets and we were given, you know, head torches. And obviously, everybody in the group had phones, etc., etc. And the walkway was somewhat illuminated, though it, 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 was, it was pretty dark. But somewhere into the belly, I think we had maybe walked in about close to a kilometer, into this lava tunnel, um, the the guide said, "Please, everybody, switch off your phones. Put away your your uh, any watch that will give light." And she said, "Just make sure where you're standing. I'm going to flip the switch. I'm going to flip the guiding lights that were there. Please don't switch on your 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 your, your um, light on top of your helmet." And I have to tell you, when she switched it off. It perhaps was one of the most frightening feelings because it was as pitch, as pitch <laughs> as you get. It was the, the, the blackest thing. In fact, I turned around to my husband and I said, this is what it must have felt in the beginning days of Makat Choshech, the plague of darkness. You feel so incredibly vulnerable. It is so scary because you, you hear noises around you. You can't even see the person standing next to you. 
it was actually a a scary but very enlightening um, experience. So this is what happened with the Egyptians in the first three days. The next three days it got even worse, where the thickness actually had a a fabric to it, right? They could they they could feel the darkness. They couldn't get up if they sat, etc., etc. Now. Why did the Egyptians get this meta connected meta? Well, the answer is, is that they, they didn't get it. I mean, they got this darkness because they were, they, they, number one, the Midrash tells us that they used to make the Jews stand with candles on their head. Okay. To keep a place illuminated. And it, they used to get much glee if the if the Jew flinched and the candle fell and poured hot wax all over them. So um, that that was one of the reasons. The second reason is that they worshipped the sun as a god. So what the plague of darkness was coming to show them was the impotence of the sun when God so willed. Like what happened to your sun god? It didn't rock up. We're also told, very interestingly, that the plague of darkness started at 9 o'clock in the morning, meaning it was a regular day. The sun came up, and then at 9 o'clock, everything went dark. And the reason for this um, is that nobody should come and say, well, there was something wrong with the, you know, the mechanics of nature. The sun just didn't come up today. The sun did come up, and when things go dark in the middle of the day, then you know that you're in a lot of trouble. Now, there were other reasons um, for the plague of darkness, particularly the first three days, a very sad reason, is that despite all the plagues that God had brought, and despite Moses' promise that they would leave and, and have redemption, it was very, very hard for many, many of the Jewish people, the Israelites, um, to leave. They were still so connected with their surroundings, connected with their belongings, connected with whatever uh, wealth they had built up before. Like they were not willing to, to leave. They just weren't. Now, if you think that they are crazy, imagine if you were told tomorrow, um, listen, Messiah is here. And now you're going to leave your house and you're going to leave your cars and you're going to leave your business and you're going to leave all of these things and you're going to go live a completely different life. There will be a huge pushback um, amongst us because it's really, really difficult to leave your comfort zone. You'll go, oh, well, what's happening to my Belita holiday? And oh, I've got tickets to fly to Australia and it's my kid's bar mitzvah and I'm supposed to be getting married and I'm graduating. Like, I, 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 I can't, I can't. Um, have a change. And this is really the, the reticence that we meet now with many, many of the Jews um, in Egypt. They didn't want to leave because better the devil you knew than you didn't know. So what happened sadly was that they died in this plague of darkness. Now, it wasn't just a handful. It actually was the majority of the Jewish people at that time. Four-fifths of the Israelite population died during the, the week of darkness. So if you want to work it backwards mathematically, there was, in all, 
there were 600,000 men over the age of 20 that left Egypt, okay, in the Exodus. And, and since you could assume there was at least four women and children to every man, that means the total population that left Egypt was three million. So from this, if we're told that four-fifths died in Egypt, over 12 million Jews died during the plague of darkness. And uh, God uh, allowed this to happen during the plague of darkness um, because he did not want um, the Egyptians to point to any figures. It allowed the Jews to bury their dead um, quietly and inconspicuous, inconspicuously. So there, there is this, this, this pushback that it seems that the Jewish people had um, because also we know that the main reason for the exodus was to go to Israel and was also to receive the Torah. Now, because they had led a life of luxury or they knew the place, it was very, very difficult for them to now change their mind to accept the Torah, to observe the commandments, um, and that's that's what it was. And when Moses announced to the Israelites that they were going to be freed from the Egyptian bondage on condition that they accept the Torah, most of them gladly agreed, and they deserved to be re redeemed, even if they had themselves committed terrible sins. But the people who wanted to remain in Egypt were those who did not wish to accept the Torah, and since they didn't have any merit, um, they died. Let's look at verse 23, um, just talking about the conditions of the plague. Norau ishetachiv. A man, one man could not see another, could not see his brother. Nor could anybody get up from his place for three days. This is the third, the second part of the, of the plague. But the Israelites had light in their homes. Okay. Now, um, what we need to understand is that this darkness only existed for the Egyptians. For the Israelites, it was perfectly light, and not only in the land of Goshen, but wherever an Israelite went, he had ample human, uh, illumination. Even when an Israelite entered the house of an Egyptian, he was able to perfectly do that. Now, what actually happened during the, the second part is that the Jews, the Israelites, walked into the houses of the Egyptians, and they were looking at what uh, jewelry and treasures, treasures the Egyptians had. No, they didn't steal any of it. They just looked because you'll see later um, when they are going and they want to be paid, um, they will say to the Egyptian, listen, I want your candlesticks. And he's going to say, oh, I don't know where these candlesticks are. And he says, I know exactly where they are. They're sitting on your sideboard in the third room on the left-hand side. Right? So, um, they were able to, they had the ability to come and go freely into the Egyptian houses without them being aware of it because the Egyptians were basically virtually paralyzed. <coughs> Excuse me. Also during this period, we're told that the exact opposite happened. There was more illumination for the Jews. So even at night, it was as bright as day for them. That's why it says, that all the Israelites had light in their homes. Instead of saying they didn't have darkness, as with all the other plagues, was because the Israelites had the exact opposite of that which the Egyptians had. 
Um, so even for the Israelites, the normal order of nature didn't change. They'd have a, a brilliantly illuminated day. The sun would set. It would become dark as in an ordinary day. But then at night, suddenly there would be more bright light for, for them. And this then proved that not only it had nothing to do with the sun, but this entire thing was miraculous. Just by the way, we're promised the same thing in Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 1 and chapter 30, verse 26, that this is going to happen in the time of Mashiach. So, one of the other meta-connected metas that I've, I forgot to mention, one of the other exacting retributions, was another reason why they were punished with the plague of darkness, was because the Egyptians also made the Jews toil, the, they made the Jews toil day and night. Right? Remember when they refused them straw for their bricks? They had to get up before dawn and try to gather enough straw so that they could fulfill the daily quota of bricks. So um, that 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 is an interesting thing. Now we've just finished up the 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 uh, parsha of Noah, and if anybody was following in the parsha of Noah, we know there in chapter eight, verse twenty-two, God promises Noah, as long as the world lasts, day and night shall never cease again. Well, if that is so, how come, um, you know, a thousand odd years later, God makes it dark in Egypt for six days when day and night were the same? So the explanation given here is that God only promised that he would not eliminate the order of day and night from the entire world. He didn't say that he will withhold it from one particular nation. It's the same thing like with the flood, right? We know that the rainbow is the sign of a flood and that God will never flood the world again. But hey, we've seen floods. So we just need to make a distinction. What God says is that the whole world will not be flooded. The whole world will not lose day and night. But will there, can there be an opportunity, a time, a place where there is a change? Yes, yes, they, yes, 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 there is. And this is what we, we had it over here. One, one, one opinion says that even during the period of darkness, the darkness was more intense at night, um, and you could still see, you could still work out the distinction between day and night. The Egyptians could, because it got even darker at night. Other, another opinion says the darkness in Egypt wasn't the actual darkness, but blinding light. It's called darkness, because compared to God's infinite light, it is like darkness. Um, and the intensity of the light was so bright that the Egyptians were blinded and the world went dark for them. And this entire thing then allows us to come to the discussion on the psycho-spiritual nature of the plague of darkness. You know, it says in Isaiah, Woe is it to those who call evil good. And good evil, who make darkness light and light darkness. For the wicked sin in darkness where no one can see them. And since their lives are based on darkness, they cannot um, tolerate true light. And because of their sins, light is like darkness for them. And when we go start looking at the psycho-spiritual idea behind the plague of darkness, undoubtedly it rings unbelievably true for us today. Because 
The plague of darkness was fighting our mental capacity for conception. And let me explain what that means. The power of conception is the ability of one's mind to conceive a new and original idea that was previously inaccessible. Now, how do you do that? Because the mind can re- the mind looks at something. It realizes the limitations and borders of something. It suspends its intellectual ego and it opens itself up to a higher light. And the previously inaccessible truth then can emerge and illuminate the mind's newly created empty space. Lots of times we hear of people who will look at something that seems limited, closed, they take a step back, and then what happens is is they come back and they've got a solution that's even greater, wider, more expansive than before. So that is the power of conception on the positive side. On the negative side, when a person is arrogant, when he's smug, he denies his mind the ability to experience the illumination. He forces himself to get into darkness and he constricts himself. And then what do we have? Exactly what Isaiah says. There will be those who will call evil good and good evil. Those who will make darkness light and light darkness. Does this not sound familiar today? IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. So there you have it. Today we are also, we are also in a tremendous plague of darkness. When we have the brutal, brutal killing um, and, and mutilation of human beings, um, it, when people start going and denying it or trying to find some light in it, this is where we can see that our power of conception, our power to understand something greater than ourselves has been robbed of us. And we are truly sitting in a place of absolute darkness. And I think that one of the, the, the bigger wars that we are going to fight is not only to fight and defeat this evil on the ground, but is to fight and defeat the evil around everybody where it's impossible to see the truth anymore, impossible to, to, to see that which is correct and that which is incorrect. And I have to say that I think that we are going to go and see the world becoming very, very polarized as to um, who will be able to choose that which is good in this world, which is moral, which is integrous, which is right, which is what humanity um, needs, and that primarily and most importantly is what Torah dictates. And then we'll have another camp of people who have got their own versions and paradigms and interpretations of how the world will be. Um, and unfortunately, I believe that when it comes to this type of war, there are going to be casualties. And it is incumbent upon each and every single one of us to choose that which is right, that which is correct. And the only way that we can choose that is if we have an absolute truth that is deeper than ourselves. If we rely only on ourselves, if we rely only um, on our thinking, then we can think anything away. We can excuse anything. There is no excuse for barbaric behavior. There is 
no excuse when a human being goes and kills another human being. No excuse whatsoever. That is the foundation of society. And for anybody who is going out there trying to justify this, you're sitting in a plague of very, very thick darkness. Let's finish up now the two, three, three verses that are left with the plague of darkness. By Yikra Paro El Moshe, you remember he wasn't warned, he now calls Moshe. By Yomer, and he says, Lechul Ivdut Hashem, go, 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 serve your God. Rak Tzonchem Ubekachem Yutzan, but just leave behind your sheep and cattle. Gam Tapchem Yelechimachem, but your children can go with you. So, you know, in the beginning when you read this, you think like, what, what logic does, uh, does Pharaoh have over here? Does he really think that, um, if he keeps a few sheep and cattle, right, that they, they're going to, the, the Israelites, when they leave, they're going to come back and get their few animals. If he wanted hostages, he should have kept their families. But truthfully, it did, it was an, in, uh, something that was very, very important because the only, um, booty, so to speak, was the livestock. Israelites only had, that was the only currency that they had. And if they um, would realize that they were in fact penniless and without property, um, what Paro was thinking was that they would have no choice but to come back and sell themselves as slaves again. So he weighed his words out very, very uh, carefully and he excluded the sheep and cattle. Vayome Moshe, so Moshe says to him, Gamatati ten biyadeinu, zvachim ve'olot ve'asinu la'ashem elokeinu. He says, will you then give us what we need to sacrifice and to offer as burnt offerings so that we will be able to prepare them for the Lord our God? Okay, so you're not allowing us to take our livestock with us. Are you going to be providing us with what we need to sacrifice to our God? Gavnikneinu yelechimanu. There's no, no discussion. Our livestock is going with us. Notisha er parsa. There's not going to be a hoof. H-O-F-F. A hoof left. Kimimenu nikah. We are going to be taking everything. Lavodet Hashem elokeinu. To serve Hashem our God. Va'anachnu lo neda ma'navod et Hashem ad bo'enu shama. And besides which, Moshe Rabbeinu says, we don't even know what we will need until we will arrive at the place in order for us to sacrifice. So we don't even know. Now, Moshe was only speaking of the animals that Paro himself would give and not those of the other Egyptians. Now, remember, the Egyptians worshipped animals, specifically the sheep, as a sacred animal. And any animal, anyway, used for idolatrous purposes could no longer be used as a sacrifice to God. So even if Paro came after this argument with Moshe Rabbeinu and said, okay, we'll give you our, here, yeah, you can take our livestock, how many sheep do you want, how many this do you want, how many do that do you want, we cannot use it. Now let me explain to you, there are two reasons why the animal of an idolater may not be used as a sacrifice to God. First, it's been used for idolatrous practice. However, if a non-idolater has an interest in the animal, it doesn't become forbidden. Okay, but number one, they were all idol-worshipping guys, and so probably the animals were used for idolatrous reasons. The second is, is that um, when an animal is not one's own, 
okay? Um, and we know, by the way, that the Egyptians committed bestili uh, bestiality, all right? Um, and they damaged the animals. We cannot use those animals for sacrifice as well. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a deal. It wasn't a deal for many reasons. We need them to sacrifice. Number one, we don't know which ones we're going to have to sacrifice. Number two, and even if you came in and you offered to us, um, to give us what it is you need, hey little Moses, hey little Pharaoh, sorry, um, we wouldn't be able to use them because you use all your animals for idolatrous reasons. And here we come to a dramatic, dramatic part. Hashem it left Paro. God hardened the heart of Paro. The law Aban Shachem, he refused to no longer let them go. By Yomel Lo Paro, Paro says to him, Paro is infuriated. He says what? Lech me'alai, go away from me, leave my presence. Hishamer lecha, and be careful. Al tosif ro'ot panai, okay? Because I'm not going to let you see my face again. Kibi yom ro'otcha panai, tamut. Be careful. Not to see my face again. For the day you see my face, you will die. Okay, he's had enough of this Moses. By Yomeh Moshe, and Moshe replies very coolly, like a cucumber. Can Dibarta, so as you say, no esif od root panecha. I will no longer see your face. And that is exactly that. Moses will never come and see your face, Paro. But there is now going to come a time which we will see soon that in fact, okay, Paro came to see Moshe again. So that concludes the power, the, the, the plague of darkness. I wish everybody light, love, good deeds, happier times where we will see the absolute evil that has, 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 has clouded over this world be lifted and that we will live as Jews, as an Orla Goyim, a light unto the nations and with the nations. Um, who embrace us together in a, in a time of peace and of prosperity um, and goodness. And may it happen very soon. This is 101.9 High FM.